Good morning. It is so good that you could be with us today. It's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. I know it's Mother's Day because I'm wearing a tie. We're in a sermon series called Home Cooking, and we've been trying to give the recipe, if you will, for good, strong, healthy homes. We began a couple of weeks ago talking about our foundation built on the rock and not on the sand. But what about when those wrong ingredients aren't something that you ask for? It's not your fault. You didn't cause it. But they come and invade into your home. What do you do in those moments? Well, I've asked my friends, Eric and Darcy, if they would help us and share their story. If you haven't met Eric and Darcy yet, Eric is a school teacher in Flushing Schools. He's also the head basketball coach of their varsity basketball team. And they had a very good year. And so that's, that's awesome. His wife, Darcy, is a nurse and has been a nurse for quite some time. They have um, a daughter, Abigail, who graduated just yesterday with her master's degree in social work. Last year, she graduated with her bachelor's degree. Yesterday, she got her MSW, so that's a big, exciting day. Their daughter, Lauren, is going to be a freshman this year at Olivet, and she's going to follow in her mom's footsteps and, and study nursing. And then they have a son, Luke, who is in eighth grade and will be a ninth grader in Flushing Schools next year. They also had a son named Marcus. And Marcus is in heaven, and that's what I want Eric and Darcy to, to share with us, just a little bit about that time. So tell us a little bit about Marcus. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, so yes, we, we do have a little one in heaven. He would be 16 now. Uh, but at the time, uh, this is in 2005, we're going to take you back. We had our two girls, and we were very excited to learn that we were having a third uh, baby. We had always wanted three, and that's what we were kind of hoping for. And besides being elated with the pregnancy, I also had some reservations, somewhat guarded, because we had miscarried two times prior to. So every my pregnancies were kind of, you know, we have a healthy baby, and you miscarry a healthy baby again, miscarried. So... It kind of had a weird pattern, um, but so as soon as we learned, I said, we, we are going to, we're just praying over this, this baby, this pregnancy. We were at family camp uh, that year, and that Thursday, if you've been there, they have the healing service, and I wanted to get anointed because, you know, this is it. You know, we, we want to go out on a good note, and so there's no doubt in my mind that God loved and knew this, this beautiful baby that we were yet to meet. So time went on, uh, 14 weeks. I actually was in the ER at the time working, and we have the benefit of pulling out that ultrasound whenever we went. So a co-worker and I thought, well, we're just going to say hi to the baby. I hadn't really had an ultrasound yet. And so we brought the ultrasound in, and I looked at her face when we were looking, and, and she had a kind of a puzzled look. And she said, I'm not sure what this is. There was a big bubble, like, within the baby. You could see the head. You saw this big bubble, and, and it was troubling. So and I thought, Lord, I'm not going to welcome any bad news here. <laughs> we've already had bad news before. This, we've, we've prayed over this, and so I didn't do anything. I, I kind of ignored it for a few days and had uh, the weekend, came back to work, and I thought, I'm going to pull that ultrasound back in again and just take a peek. Maybe it's gone. Maybe whoever knows what it was. But it was still there, and it was bigger. So we pulled in an attending, and he said, I don't know what this is, and you need to go to your OB soon. So we did that, and uh, doctor, uh, I won't say his name, I guess, but a local doctor of over 30 years said, I don't even know what this is. So we're going to send you to Hutzel Women's Hospital, which is now part of DMC. So it led to many appointments, 
uh, week after week, uh, but we did find out that it was the bubble was actually the baby's bladder without doing a major science lesson, but the baby obviously has to excrete the urine that will make up the amniotic fluid, which provides all the nutrients to breathe, to grow, all of these things. And obviously if the bladder is full, it's going to back up. It's going to back up into the kidneys, which causes kidney failure, multi-system failure. So that was kind of the, the, the dilemma I guess we were, we were given at that point. Uh, we decided to name him at that point. They told us it was a boy and we uh, had already kind of picked our name out I think for a boy. And so Marcus Eric was kind of named that day. Um, so then um, skipping a little ahead, we um, continued the procedures to try to drain this bubble uh, we had an intrauterine surgery that they can do that uh, lasted for like seven days. It was working, but that failed. And multi, just multi-procedures for, for a long time until we were about at 24 weeks. And that's when the doctor finally set us down. And she said, you know, we can keep this, this baby will stay alive within you. And you'll, you'll, he'll get bigger. Um, we're just, we're just gonna, it's a waiting game. If, if the baby lives, then we're gonna have to do a bilateral kidney transplant. Um, if he lives, he, there would be a 50% chance that he would die anyway before the age of two. And, um, and he said, um, or she said, and I have to tell you that, you know, this, this rare disease is called uh, prune belly syndrome, if you've ever heard of it. We were one of two parents that would be diagnosed with this rare condition uh, out of all the babies that are born in one year's time. So that's what we were dealing with, which would lead to this multi-system failure. And, um, and really, his, his, you know, having his first breath ultimately being his last. So... Or the second option would be to abort. It's gonna be, you're gonna carry this baby to full term. You got another two and a half, three months left. We can just say, you know, we, we, we're done and uh, I guess move on. And we knew that that was not an option immediately. So, and so that's when our faith really wrestled like, okay, God, you knew about this and um, we're gonna give this to you. We prayed, we fasted, we called on our families, our friends to pray. And obviously that was the hardest time in my life, I'm sure, in Eric's life. We, every day we just we prayed that God would, would um, change that circumstance and change um, in an instant. We know he could, but we really came to understand the peace of God that said, you know, whatever you do is going to be okay. And that our faith did not depend on how he would answer that prayer. If we would get to have him in this life or if we didn't, our faith was in him and it was enough. Tell me about then, the day came for him to be born, and tell me a little bit about that day. Sure, so it was, um, we were full term at that point, and I, I did carry on till those two and a half months, and the whole time I just prayed, Lord, just be merciful, and do not let Marcus suffer. I prayed those two things every single day, still praying it would change, but if it didn't, that God would be merciful and that he would uh, not suffer. And honestly, it was, it was a very, very almost beautiful day that I just felt God's presence or we felt in that room. Pastor Rob was with us, our close friends were with us, and I would not know the intimacy of Christ without having gone through that. And I knew that he had this under control. He did not suffer. He never had to have a surgery, not a procedure. He just passed away in our arms, you know, after about 20 minutes. 
Um, and he was shown the most beautiful mercy. And I just was consoled knowing that God was our comforter, showing, you know, by our friends, our healer, and ultimate healing. And then just realizing that God watched his own son die, that he could empathize with our hurt. And, and it, was, it was a beautiful thing, really. Right. Eric, tell me, looking back now, 16 years later, um, what would you tell other families or other people who have gone through a storm? What maybe lesson or what, what helped you the, through those days? Well, Darcy kind of alluded to a couple of things, I guess. Number one, it was important for us to um, have friends during that time, kind of find out who your friends are in the middle of a mess. And uh, just for us, it happened to be our Sunday school class and just really not just praying for us, but just in real practical ways, just supporting us. And I just couldn't believe how, uh, how good people could be, you know, in the middle of that. And then the second one, and again, Darcy alluded to this, we had made up our decision, excuse me, we'd made up our minds ahead of time that our faith is in Christ based on who you are and what you can do, not on what you're going to do in this one. And we're not going to wait until the middle of a mess to determine what our faith is going to be. So... Those are two important things for us, I think. Well, and you've, you've lived it out. Uh, you, you all may not know Eric and Darcy as well as I've got to know them. You know, I've pastored for 32 years now. And these are some of the finest Christians, strongest in their faith, wonderful servant Jesus, and yet they still went through a storm. And so thank you, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing the story. Some storms come to us. We, we, don't, we don't ask for them. We can't always plan them. But they come. And when they come, what are you going to do? When the, when the wind starts blowing, we would know. We could read the forecast and know, okay, it's coming tomorrow. But it doesn't work that way. You know it. In the first sermon in the series, we talked about the guy who built his house on the rock. And you've all, if you've been in Sunday school, vacation Bible school years ago, you'd remember the guys on the rock, his, his house stood firm. The guys on the sand, his house went flat. We know that story, of course we do. But when the storm comes, when those winds are really starting to, to blow and take over, what are you going to do? See, the, the truth of the matter is, Storms come to everybody. It's not, just, it's not just, just bad people. It's not just good people. Storms come in, in every... For both the guy who's built his house on the rock and the guy who built his house on the sand, the storms were still there. Jesus at one point said, it rains on the just and the unjust. And usually when we hear that, we think that Jesus was saying bad things happen to good people and bad people. It rains on the just and the unjust. But remember, Jesus was talking to an agricultural society. Rain was a precious thing. So when we hear, oh, it's going to be a rainy day, we think, oh, my plans are ruined. It's going to rain. Oh, it's a, it's a rainy day. You know, I can't, I can't go out and guard. Oh, it's a rainy day. The Tigers game is canceled. Sometimes rain is a blessing, too. <laughs> oh, it's a rainy day. In the first century, rain was what they prayed for. Rain was not a bad thing. Rain was a good thing. They needed rain. And so when Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust, he wasn't saying bad things happen to good people and, and bad people. He's saying good things happen to bad people and good people. That God is the giver of those good and blessed things. 
But the reality is bad things happen to good and bad people too. And what do you do when those bad things come? What is the rock on which you're going to hold on to? The Bible has, has plenty of stories throughout of bad things happening to people. Heroes of the faith. This has been floated around the, the internet. You've probably seen it, but I'll read it for you. Some of the best and brightest went through trials and, and tribulations. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was falsely accused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. David had an affair, was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jeremiah was in jail. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. His disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Samaritan woman was divorced once, twice, three, four. Zacharias was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus, he was dead. Bad things happen. But God works in the midst of those things. God, God moves in, in those things. We could, sometimes wrong ingredients get added to our mix through no fault of our own. And what do we do? Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about some of his circumstance. He says this, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we're well-known. We live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, but we've not been killed. Our heart aches, but we are filled. We always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Do you understand? Where have you been with Paul? Paul is... Paul is not uh, preaching some kind of prosperity gospel here. He's not saying, you follow Jesus, man, the road is easy. Just follow Jesus and you'll never have problems. His problems all started when he followed Jesus. His problems started after that, 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 that encounter on the road to Damascus. And yet he says, patiently endured troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. And he goes on to say, we've been beaten, tossed in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, gone without food. This is not a recruiting poster. Follow Jesus, have all these terrible things happen to you. Come on, who wants to sign up first? That is not what he's saying. He's saying storms come. And when they come, what's the rock that you're going to hold on to? How are you going to make it? Sometimes storms come through, 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 through people, right? Some storms come when people aren't always kind. Paul says it. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. They slander us. They call us imposters. Sometimes some of our problems come when people treat us poorly, when people are, uh, are, are self-centered, when people have an agenda to, to hurt you. And that hurts. Believe me, I've been through those storms like that. That hurts. Sometimes storms come there. Sometimes storms come through storms. 
You've seen it on the news. People who've had to endure hurricanes and natural disasters and tornadoes and floods and all the rest. It displaces. It's terrible. It's horrible. And sometimes, like Eric and Darcy, do no fault. It's a diagnosis that you never thought you'd get. It's the phone call that you never thought you'd receive. It's the deep, deep anguish over a loved one that you may never see again. What do you do in those moments? Harold Kushner is a guy who 40 years ago, he's a Jewish rabbi, 40 years ago, he wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Maybe you read it. It it was popular, very popular, you know, a long time ago. I read it back in the day. And Kushner wrestled with, with this issue because he had a son, Aaron, and right after Aaron's third birthday, he was uh, diagnosed with a disease called progeria, which meant he would never grow past three feet tall. They were told he'd never grow hair on his head. He'd look like an aged old man, and he probably wouldn't reach adulthood. And all those things happened. And when Aaron was 14, he passed away. And so, so Kushner and his wife, they wrestled with that. How, how do you deal with issues when, when something totally out of your control happens? How, what happens to your faith when, when, when you are dealing with unmerited suffering? And his, his call in the book is really saying, what he, his conclusion is we need to reduce our expectations of what God can do. When faced with the tension of God's love and God's omnipotence, God is, is all-loving, God is all-powerful, Kushner says we need to embrace that God is all-loving, but reduce our expectations of God's power. In particular, he said we should just stop expecting miracles. It's not that, that God doesn't want to do miracles, it's that God can't do miracles. That's the conclusion. Well, with, you know, apologies to, to Rabbi Kushner, that's, that's not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible does miracles. The God of the Bible makes blind people see and lame people walk. Makes dead people raise. The God of the Bible, Jesus looked squarely at the disciples and said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, just a mustard seed. He didn't say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can look at that mountain and, you know, your attitudes will shift on how that you view that mountain if you just have enough faith. No, he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that mountain can move. Later, Jesus would say, say nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible for you. Saying God can work, God can move. That's the God of the Bible. You can't have this discussion of, of suffering and, and circumstances out of your control, the wrong ingredient mixed in your life without talking about Job. whole book of Job, that's the whole premise. And you know, you know, even if you haven't read, read the book of Job, you know the, the basic story. Job is this rich guy and everything is taken away. And for, you know, 40 chapters or so, he's just suffering and trying to grapple with the things. What happens when good guys, good guy like Job, has bad things happen? And finally, 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 in chapter 38, God speaks. And when God speaks, he doesn't say, man, Job, sorry, wish I could help you. That's not what God says. The heavens open up, and God, in, his, uh, in my imagination, is this booming voice. 
looks at Job and says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. What God was saying in that moment to Job is, Job, I'm bigger than this problem. And if you just hold on to me, if you just put yourself on me, I'll see you through this storm and every storm. I'm bigger than that problem. I'm bigger than that worry. I'm bigger than that circumstance. You need to hold on to me. That's the message of the Bible. The message, the good news of the resurrection is that even the thing most shattering to us, death itself has no sway on, on we who put our faith in Christ. Even death doesn't have the final word, that Jesus is bigger than all of that, that we can trust him who cannot be moved. That's just love, but the greatest of these, with the greatest of these is love will still be there. The God of love has the final answer. Often in, in, in hospitals, when I know the person is a believer and I know that they're almost into heaven, I'll get out my Bible, it's in my car, I keep it with me just in case, I need to make an emergency call, and I get out my Bible, and I flip to the back, and I remind them what's coming, that says God is home among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he'll wipe every tear from their eye, and there'll be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain, for all these things are gone forever. And the one who is sitting on the throne says, look, look, I'm making everything new. That great worry, that great dilemma, that great problem, look, I'm making everything new. It's saying there's a rock that we can hold on to even in our darkest storms. And the psalmist in Psalm 73 is trying to wrestle with the same things that Job was wrestling with. Why do, do evil, rotten, horrible, terrible people seem to get ahead and good people seem to fall on their face? Why do, why do terrible, horrible, rotten people seem to be rich and good people seem to be, you know, scratching out for, for, for just a living? Why do, why, do, why do murderers go free and innocent people get wrongly accused? He's, ask, he's asking those tough questions. And the conclusion that he comes to is just hold on. God is there. This is what he says in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength in my heart. He is mine forever. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. I love that song. And then that 28th verse says, I have made the sovereign my shelter. Some, some versions say, I've made the sovereign my sanctuary. Usually when we think of sanctuaries, we think of like rooms like this, pews and carpet and a great big cross. My son attends the the largest uh, United Methodist Church in the country. He's at a satellite campus, but on the main campus, they have the largest uh, stained glass window in the world. It's the size of a basketball court. It costs three and a half million dollars. That's why we don't have the largest stained glass window in the world. But it's, it's huge, right? And you're in there. And when the organ, they have this you know, huge organ, and when it's blasting, you're like, whoa, 
This is, this, this is a sanctuary. That's not what the psalmist is referring to. When the psalmist is talking about a sanctuary, he's talking more of like an animal sanctuary. Uh, uh, kind of like at the Detroit Zoo. If you've been there, they have a butterfly sanctuary. And you can go in this, and this sanctuary and they bring in, I did a little research, they bring in 25 or 250 uh, chrysalises. Is that what they're called? Little, you know, pre-butterfly things. And they stick them in this room and it's always 75 degrees, perfect temperature. And they've got fruit and flowers and things for the butterflies to flood around. There's 25 different species. And they just, you know, and you can go in there. And if you're not like, you know, a, a bug hater, you can't take great in with you. But if you go in there, you know, they'll flutter around, they'll land on your shirt or your face or whatever why what's going on in there those those butterflies there's no there's no danger there's no predators there's no birds coming in to swoop them away there's nothing like that they're safe secure they're steady we had eric and darcy up here the day the day that we gathered at the cemetery to bury marcus it's one of the toughest days as a pastor. I didn't tell you this. I told the first service. That year, I think I did four funerals. In the year, 18 months, did four funerals for babies in, in that short a period of time. Since then, in 16 years, I haven't done four in 16 years, but that one year, did four. When you take your baby, when you're at a cemetery to bury your child, that is that, that automatically becomes the worst day of your life. Nothing tops that. And so we were at the cemetery. It was in February. It was a warmer day in February than what you'd expect in Michigan. It was raining. We were out at the cemetery in the rain. Just me and Eric and Darcy and a few of their family and friends, probably less than a dozen of us. You know, I had no magic words. I, 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 I didn't know what to say. You know, I read some scripture. I said the prayers that you're supposed to say. I tried to say a few words. But here was this extremely faithful couple in this extremely horrible day. And I said, amen. And after amen, do you know what happened? Now, if you don't know, this, the Smiths are kind of a singing family. Uh, Eric's family, his mom, Jean and Judy Smith, they've sang all over wonderful singers. So on this horrible, terrible, awful day, they sang what we sang earlier. The worst day of their life. They had the courage and the faith and the strength to say, great is thy faithfulness. The storms can blow and the sails can be hurt. But great is thy faithfulness. You're the anchor. You don't shake. You've been with us. You'll be with us. You're with Marcus. We can trust you.